And it's good to see everyone. We're back to the seven tools for a Christ-exalting home. And uh, who of you uh, knows what a pink pearl is? Anybody know what a pink pearl is? Okay. Some of our older folks know what a pink pearl is. I mean, not too old. I mean, you know, young and old alike know what a pink pearl is. Uh, for those of you who don't know, I deleted it uh, from the notes because I figured, you know, a lot of, a lot of the younger people aren't going to know what a pink pearl is uh, because we have delete keys now. Um, it used to be you had an eraser and you'd write something with a, a pencil and uh, if it was wrong, you erased it. If it was a mistake, you just erased it. And uh, this is a good uh, kind of picture for us or a metaphor for us. Uh, of forgiveness. Whenever you see a pink pearl, in which you don't see, or maybe the erasure on the top of your pencil, uh, think of forgiveness, because that's what this is about. Um, I'd like you to turn in your Bible to 1 John chapter 1, 1 John chapter 1, and we'll be in Luke 17 as well this morning, uh, but 1 John chapter 1. I know you're familiar with this passage, and for a lot of you, this is going to be uh, old hat here you uh, know all about this. Uh, we've talked about it before, but it is so critical, so critical that we understand what the Bible teaches about forgiveness, and this is certainly not going to be an exhaustive study, um, but maybe one that will encourage you to do what you already know, or maybe uh, it will sharpen your understanding of what God requires in forgiveness. So as we learn to proclaim the excellencies of Christ in our homes, as we're trying to train our children in a way that's, that's according to the nurture and admonition of the Lord. We want them to grow up loving Jesus and loving one another. First uh, John says, if you don't love your brother, you don't love God. Uh, stop saying you love God if you don't love your brother. Well, you're going to have a hard time loving your brother if you don't understand biblical forgiveness. And biblical forgiveness is significantly different than the kind of reconciliation or forgiveness, worldly forgiveness. This is, this is really at some level radically different. Uh, the reality is, and this is where the world goes wrong, the world uh, in their anthropology believes that man is what? Basically good, uh, fundamentally good, even though maybe some really, really evil things have happened. Uh, the question is not... Uh, uh, how evil is he, you know, to what depth does the evil go? The question is always, what did his parents do to make him like that? Because it's contrary to the nature of man that someone should be evil. And our, our understanding is exactly the opposite. I mean, if anyone does anything good, it's by the grace of God. So we understand that men are sinful. Uh, we understand that we were created by God uh, to bear his image, and yet that image, though it still exists and has not been annihilated, it has been stained, it has been broken, it has been damaged. And, uh, and so all of us are sinful, that includes men, that includes women, and that includes children of any age, and all of us miss the mark. Uh, that's, that's the term that, that uh, Paul uses in Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fall short. It means to miss the mark. Not that, you know, we need to understand what Paul is saying there, right? Uh, to miss the mark should not give you the connotation that there's a target out there and everybody's trying to hit it and they just can't 
you know, they can't pull it back far enough or their arrow's too heavy or their, their aim just isn't right. No, 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 no. Uh, you have to kind of go back to Romans 1 to get the foundation of what he's saying in Romans 3. Romans 3 says we missed the mark, but Romans 1 says the reason we missed the mark is we're aiming at the wrong target. We suppress the truth and unrighteousness. We, we want nothing to do with God's mark unless God does something in our hearts to change us. So all of us fall short of uh, God's righteous and holy standard. Even as believers, all of us fall short. And uh, the hope is that as you grow in Christ, uh, you get closer to hitting the mark. You, you, you're, you're doing a better job. Another way of saying it is you sin less. You glorify Christ more. But even then, as John MacArthur likes to point out, um, that the the closer you get to the light, uh, the greater your sin appears. And so while you may have less sin in your life, it feels like more, and, and that's a good thing. If we say we have no sin, John says, this is John, uh, 1 John 1, 8. Um, he says, if, if we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. And we need to understand here that 1 John is, writing, is being written to believers. If you say you have no sin, you're deceiving yourself and the truth is not in you. We, we are sinners. We are redeemed sinners. And we shouldn't think all the time only of our sinfulness. We should think of the fact that, that we are sons and daughters of God, incredibly privileged and loved by God. Uh, but the reality is we are still sinners. Um, and so you kind of see the dilemma here. We desire as believers to show the glory of God in our lives, in our homes, but sin is always ready to strike a blow against the glory of God. Sin is always ready to exalt self and suppress truth and, and denigrate other people. What provision has God made for this? Well, in a word, forgiveness. The uh, eternal pink pearl uh, by which our sins are forgiven, they're erased. The very next verse here in 1 John says this. Uh, verse 8 says, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. And then verse 9, glorious verse 9. If we, what's the word? Confess. Okay, this is interactive time. If we, what? Confess, confess our sins. What does confess mean? Agree with God, or literally to say the same thing as God, or to say the same thing about your sin as God. That's true confession. It's not, what do you think about your sin? What does God say about your sin? Confess that. Um, if you confess your sins, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. He is faithful and just. Uh, this, is, this points back to the gospel, right? God is both just and the justifier of all who believe. He is the one who forgives sinners justly. This is not, contrary to the Roman Catholic Church, justification by faith alone is not a legal fiction. It is how the Apostle Paul presents it. And here it is again, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. This is God's gracious provision, which he has established for us 
through the death and resurrection of Christ. Without forgiveness, our relationship with God cannot exist. You understand that, right? If there is no forgiveness, your relationship with God can't exist. Your relationship with God can't exist. We would be doomed. On the other hand, it's not just our relationship with God that's at stake here. It's our relationship with one another. Our relationships with one another are profoundly affected by our propensity to sin. Husbands sin against their wives. Wives sin against their husbands. Children, uh, 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 um, they sin against their siblings. They sin against their parents. Sometimes parents sin against their children. If you're single, you sin against your friends, your coworkers. Um, we are all sinners, therefore, we all sin. We all contribute to the problem. Um, and this would be bad enough if all of this sin only affected our relationship with one another, but it affects our relationship with God. And it does great harm with our fellowship to one another. Why are there church splits? Sin. Why are there divorces? Sin. Where, um, where there are problems in relationships, even in the church, almost always, almost always, the root of it is sin. Um, there are occasions when uh, it's, it's disagreement, legitimate disagreement, that can cause problems. Tragedy, obviously, can cause problems, but usually if they become deep problems, it's because we're responding badly, sinfully, to the circumstance, it's not the circumstance itself. Usually we can trace our uh, relational problems back to sin. Now, I've been counseling now for uh, some time. It's been a, a decade already. It's hard to believe for me. Um, and I can tell you from a wide range of counseling experience and, and seeing problems day after day after day with people, the problem is never a combat compatibility problem. It's never a, a, a dysfunctionality problem. I'm not even sure what that means. Um, it's not a syndrome. It's not a disorder. At its root, the conflict, the dissent, the bitterness, the resentment always goes back to the same poisonous root, sin. One of the parties did something wrong, did something sinful, and hurt the other person, that person responds with a sinful attitude and action, which only provokes the first person to respond sinfully in return, and before long you have a serious problem in the home. And it may not have started with an original sin. It may have just started with something that rubbed you the wrong way and it wasn't sinful. And then you sin in response to that non-sinful act. And the person who didn't sin to begin with responds to that sin with sin. You see how it goes? It becomes a vicious circle. And if you sin against someone who has sinned against you, guess what you just did? You just complicated the problem. Uh, now we have not one sin, we have two sins. And if that person sins in return, well, now we have three. And you can see how this just multiplies, just multiplies. And here's what happens in relationships and in marriage, because, uh, because you're so tightly joined, you spend so much time together, and uh, what happens is if the, if the sin is not 
adequately dealt with, if it's not biblically addressed, bitterness begins to take root. And distrust starts to take root. The reason you don't talk is because you don't trust one another. The reason you don't share your soul or your heart with one another is because you, you have lost trust. Why is it that you can talk to your friend at work or your girlfriend or you know, somebody on the phone or, and, and you can just bare your soul, but when you come home, it's, it clams up. You talk about the weather, you talk about what's for dinner, you talk about the movie you watched, you try to keep some communication going, knowing that at least if we put you know, a, a, a covering on it that looks like biblical intimacy, then uh, it will keep the real issue buried and disguised. And so it's so incredibly important to learn how to deal with sin in the home. So what's God's remedy for sin? God's remedy for sin is forgiveness. God's remedy for sin is forgiveness. Now, there are two kinds of forgiveness that I want to talk to you about today. Both of them are critical. There is a third kind of forgiveness. It's called institutional. I call it institutional forgiveness, and that's when it becomes a, a church body thing. But we're not, that's, that's a different discussion. I think we'll leave that for another time. Now, there are two kinds of forgiveness that the Bible speaks of explicitly, and I want to give you a brief rundown on each of them and show you how they work. So let's look at the first one. And, and for this, I want you to turn back to the Gospel of Luke, the Gospel of Luke, and chapter 17. The Gospel of Luke 17, and we're going to start in verse 3. And I'm going to kind of read this section by section. We'll look at a section and explain it and then read the next section. But at verse 3... Um, the heading in mine on, on uh, the chapter is temptations to sin, and uh, that's certainly what Jesus is dealing with here. This is, this is a counterpart to uh, Matthew 18, that church discipline passage, so the verbiage here is going to sound really familiar. Um, but I'm picking this because Jesus says more here than he does in Matthew 18. Uh, verse 3, pay attention to yourselves. If your brother sins, rebuke him. If he repents, forgive him. And if he sins against you seven times in a day and turns to you seven times and says, I repent, forgive him. Now that sounds like a rather innocuous verse. You read that in your quiet time in the morning before you had coffee and you'll just blast through it and, and not really think about it. Uh, I hope by the end of this you will have thought about it well. Um, but let's start at the beginning. Pay attention to yourselves. Or what, is, what does the NAS say on this? Be on your guard. Uh, both of these are, are, you know, you read that phrase and you think, how, what's Jesus thinking here? And I think what he's saying is, uh, you, you, we might approach it a couple of ways. One is, pay attention to what I'm about to say. Pay attention to this. This is really, really important. Or the intensity here, there's a, there's a level of intensity to this first statement that almost it's almost as if Jesus is saying, you know, this is going to be hard for you to hear, so put your crash helmet on, you know, tighten up your seatbelt because you're not going to like what I have to say. But you have to obey this. You have to do this. You have to submit to my lordship on this issue because when you're faced with it, you won't want to. And so, pay attention to yourselves. Um, 
this is, this is where it all begins. Um, the first kind of forgiveness that I want to talk to you about is called transactional forgiveness. It's transactional forgiveness. We call it transactional because it requires a verbal transaction between the two people involved. Let's say, uh, let's say I, I, uh, I, let's say I want to buy your Bible, brother. Okay, I don't have my credit card or cash. Anybody have any cash? Um, and you're willing to sell me your Bible or your cell phone. Let me have your cell phone. Can I see your cell phone for a second? Um, yeah, this cell phone's better than mine. And uh, how much do you want for it? <laughs> Just for the sake of it, tell me, give, give me a price. $2,500. $2,500? No. Oh, $25. <laughs> right, right. And so, uh, in order to satisfy you, uh, I mean, can I give you $10? No, the answer is no, no. Okay, so $10. So the $10. And if I give you $10, will you give me this? Sure. So this happens all the time. We understand transactions. We go to the store. We whip out our credit card. You know, they swipe all the groceries. But they don't just say, I mean, unless it's one of those new Amazon stores, you know, just walk out. Um, but even then, there's a transaction that takes place. It's either physical or it's digital or something. A transaction is taking place. Thank you. Um, and a transaction has to take place. If a transaction doesn't take place between you and the person who sinned against you, or maybe the other person's not the sinner, maybe you are, if there's not a transaction, you say something, they say something in return. You say something, they say something in return. Then it's not biblical forgiveness. At least not transactional forgiveness. Um, if your brother sins, watch this. If your brother sins... Rebuke him. If your brother sins, rebuke him. This is very similar, again, to Matthew 18 in church discipline. But it's important to understand that when we take this word rebuke, and it does mean to approach the person, to identify the sin, to talk about the sin. Obviously, you're going to, it, it, since it's sin, you're going to tell him that this is wrong. You're going to tell him what he already knows, that this is wrong. You need to repent of this as part of rebuking, Right? However, when you take this passage with other passages like Ephesians 6, 1, um, where he says what Paul says? I'm sorry, Galatians 6, 1, thank you. Galatians 6, 1, which says what? Somebody tell me. Galatians 6, 1. All right, somebody look it up. You got it? First person to get it, read it out loud. In a spirit of gentleness. And you'll find this other places in, in the New Testament as well. You who are spiritual, even if someone is caught in a real sin, and I think part of the context here is, uh, is people were being nitpicky in, 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 verse, in, in chapter 4 of Galatians. He's saying, be careful that you don't bite and devour one another. And then he comes to chapter uh, uh, 6, verse 1, and he says, um, uh, even if someone is actually caught in a real sin, something that you look at and say, that is, that is obviously contrary to the Bible. That is a breach of the law of God. Um, you who are spiritual, don't hammer him. Um, be gracious. Go to him, rebuke him gently. 
rebuke him carefully. We always say, uh, we, we try to teach people that I counsel, um, remember this, uh, questions convict the conscience, but accusations harden the heart. If you go into that situation making accusations, uh, you've probably already lost the battle. You're probably not going to make much progress. But if you go in and say things like, hey, brother, you know, I heard you talking to, you know, I heard you talking to Russ, and, and you told a joke that uh, it seemed like we were not only embarrassed by, but you were. You know, can you tell me what you were thinking? Did I hear that right? It's a question. It's a question. Is that a hand? Are you asking a question? Oh, yeah, sure. Questions convict the conscience, but accusations harden the heart. Questions convict the conscience, but accusations harden the heart. My wife has become the master of this in our home. She's so good. At, and I can always tell when I'm in trouble. Because <laughs> she comes with a really sweet question about something that I did. She wants to understand what was behind it. What was I thinking? You know, did I, or she'll say, did I understand? I may have misunderstood what you said. What, what was it that you said a few minutes ago? And, uh, and I already know uh, what I did was sinful. Um, and, and you know what? The, a soft answer turns away wrath. And here, it's, it's not, you're not answering. You're, you're the one who's uh, stepping forward and kind of prosecuting this issue. Um, you're, you're bringing conviction. In fact, uh, uh, the term that's the, the Greek term in uh, the New Testament is often convict. Uh, we don't say that we're going to convict someone. We say we're going to approach someone, and we're going to talk to someone about a hard subject. But the reality is we, we convict. This is what rebuking is. It is convicting someone. It's saying you've committed the crime, you know. You've, you've done the sin, as, as best I can tell. Uh, but you're doing it gently. You're doing it tentatively. Uh, Proverbs 18, 13 says, He who answers before he is heard, it is his folly and shame. And, and tweak that a little bit. He who, uh, he who rebukes before he is heard, it may very well be your folly and shame. It may be that you don't know something. It may be that there's information that you don't have. I mean, it looks like an ironclad case. And... Um, and, and, and something like that happened recently. I had a, uh, had a brother of the church I was trying to help, uh, not, not Calvary Bible Church. Um, I have the privilege of sometimes talking to church planters and, and did this week uh, in another state there in Ohio. Anyway, I was talking to some guys, and uh, there was an incident that happened, and one of, the brothers, um, one of the brothers looked like he stormed out of the parking lot. He jumped in his car, and he took off, and the wheels spun, and... And, and one of the brothers was going to talk to him, and we thought, oh, no. They thought, oh, man, this is a serious problem. You know, what's wrong with this guy? And so we got talking to each other. You know, what are the options here? Well, you know, maybe his wife was upset, and he, you know, and he, uh, it wasn't him. You know, we think better of him. But we're really struggling. Your mind starts to go, why would you do that? Why would you? When you see us coming, you jump in your car, throw it in drive, and peel out of the parking lot. And uh, a couple days later, we had, had a chance to talk with him. And uh, these brothers came back and they, they told me, they said, you know what, we were completely wrong. We, we got with this guy. Number one, he said, I, I never saw you in the parking lot. And number two, we got a call from home that my son, uh, uh, I 
forget what happened. He, he, he took a, a, a pill, he took a, a, an antihistamine or something, was having an allergic reaction or something like that, and they needed to get home immediately. And he, so motives were being assigned, right, to a guy who did nothing wrong. Listen, if, uh, if you go in with the answers in your mind and you try to convict someone and rebuke them and you're not asking questions, uh, you're going to complicate the problem. You're going to add to the potential for bitterness and harm. You may very well sin against that person. So questions convict the conscience, but at, uh, accusations harden the heart. Uh, so you need to communicate that you have that person's best interest at heart. Don't just slap him down and accuse him with a, with a few Bible verses. Rather, go out of your way. Go out of your way to, uh, to handle it properly. Um, let me make sure I'm on the right page here. Um, you, there's different ways to communicate. One of the ways we, um, we initially communicate that, that starts to send things off in the wrong direction is by tone. By tone. Years ago, I remember talking to a staff member who no longer works at the church, and uh, I said, you know, every time your son calls, your tone changes. And you get really curt, really, really um, kind of raspy and rough. And uh, I said, you know, if I were on the other end of that phone, uh, I, I, would, I would feel like you don't want to talk to me ever, ever. And, and this, this person had no idea, had no idea. Be careful of your tone. Be careful of your tone. If you really have that person's interests at heart, then work at it. Uh, intentionally think, what should my tone sound like when I approach this person? Because if it sounds like you're coming down like with a ton of bricks, uh, it's going to get off to a bad start and probably end badly. Um, Proverbs says, apples, uh, um, like apples of gold in settings of silver is a timely word spoken, was it in season? Uh, or kindly, or something like that. Uh, um, be careful. The scripture, the, the Proverbs are full of instruction about how to communicate. Um, and so let's, let's make sure. Frankly, this is where uh, many relationships and marriages start to run aground. When a man commits a minor infraction, his wife jumps all over him verbally, accuses him of far more than what he actually did, or maybe she's accusing him of what she knows he did, um, but is just being too harsh, and then punishes him with the cold shoulder, uh, which is sometimes worse than yelling at him. I mean, you just pretend that he's dead, um, dead to you. Obviously, it can also work the other way around. Husbands do that to their wives as well. They can become sullen and and, uh, but if Christ is really going to be magnified in your home, then we need to discipline ourselves to address sin biblically. And that means at first we address it tentatively, kindly, graciously, carefully. This is just another way to say rebuke him in a humble manner. Rebuke her in a humble manner. Rebuke your children. I know, moms, this is hard sometimes because you're with them all the time and they make you crazy. Um, but rebuke them tenderly. Rebuke them carefully. Ask them questions. And, uh, and then draw conclusions with their help. 
Show genuine humility when you approach the issue. Now, notice what Jesus says. Um, Pay attention to yourselves if your brother sins, rebuke him. If he repents, forgive him. If he repents, forgive him. Now, to forgive assumes at least three commitments, and you could probably come up with more than this, um, but just for the sake of time and, and simplicity, let's, let's mention three. Um, if that person repents, they say, you know what, I get it, and you're absolutely right, I did that, I sinned. Um, and you say, I forgive you, understand what you're saying. What you're saying is, I'll never bring this up to you again. I'm not going to hold this over your head, and every time we have a conflict, I'm going to remember you. Remember, uh, we're going to. I'm going to remind you of these things. No, I'm never going to bring it up again. Secondly, I'll never allow myself to dwell on it in the future. That's a really hard one. I'm not going to ad- address this in the future. And uh, the third one is, and, I, and I've got the wrong one in my notes, um, but uh, I'm, I'm never going to talk to other people about it either. I'm not going to talk to other people about this. I'm not going to bring it up to you again. And I'm not going to allow myself to dwell on it. It's forgiven. Now, let me ask you a question. Uh, Has God forgiven your sin? How many of you think uh, God has forgiven your sin? Good. Uh, Has God forgotten your sin? Has he? In what sense do you mean that? Does he have divine amnesia? He's omniscient, right? Does he know everything? Can he forget your sin? Not a trick question. I'm just trying to help you get a little deeper. As far as the east is from the west, and I I should have brought the text in here this morning, I think it's in Ezekiel where he says um, that God chooses not to remember your sins against you, which is what he means when he says he throws it as far as the east is from the west. It's not that he doesn't know, he doesn't remember that sin, it's that he doesn't remember it against you. And this is helpful because when you're, when you're battling the temptation to dwell on it or to bring it up, or to bring it up to another person. Understand that you're to forgive one another as God forgives you, and that means not necessarily that you forget it. Praise God, if, if you're able, I mean, if, if two years down the road you go, huh, you know, if somebody comes and they say, hey, you remember when your wife or, or your wife comes to you and says, hey, you remember that sin that you committed or, or that I committed against you back then, and you go, no. I really don't remember that. Can you, can you help me remember it? You know, that happens, and that's wonderful if that happens, but more often than not, what God requires of you and what you need to do is to choose to not remember it against them. This is so critical. Um, so often when we're trying to help people sort out what's going wrong in their marriage, uh, it's, it's no longer the, the original sin that matters. It's the bitterness of the person who's been sinned against and just won't let it go. And, and feels like they can't let it go. Uh, the way God forgives us is he doesn't have amnesia. It's not like he's forgotten, but he chooses not to remember it against us. Yeah, yeah right, and that's the part I said I, 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 that, that was wrong. I wrote that in there years ago, and as soon as I did it, I 
Um, I, I haven't looked at your notes in a long time and uh, never bring it up to God again. I think you don't bring up the other person's sin to God. I, I think this is, this is an irrelevant point. Um, but if you're asking the question, um, if I'm bringing it up to God again, uh, you know, what would you be saying? Yeah. Sure, but, you know, you can drift into dwelling on it uh, very quickly, right? Um, so we got to be careful. A better way to talk to the Lord about that sin would be to say, Lord, forgive me, I'm, I'm bringing it up again. It's only in my own mind, and I haven't said anything to them, uh, but uh, help me, help me. I'm being tempted now to dwell on this sin. And don't focus on your own hurt. Focus on your own inability in that moment or unwillingness in that moment to let it go. Oh, sure. Yeah, but, but at this point in the notes, we have, uh, uh, we're assuming that the transaction has taken place. Does that help? Sure, he's going to say something like that here, yeah. Right. Look, if he's doing it again, it, it starts all over. You know what I mean? If he does that sin again, you, 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 can, you, you forgave it the last time. If the transaction has taken place, then yes, it's, it's done. And when he sins again, you've got to deal with it again. If he sins again, you've got to deal with it again. Now, it, it is appropriate. Uh, one caveat we typically put on this is um, uh, there is an appropriate time to bring it up again. And that is when it appears to be a pattern or you can establish that it's a pattern and you think the other person doesn't realize it. In other words... As an act of love and grace and help to them, you bring it up and say, hey, uh, so I had this, uh, my wife and I had this one time in, in our marriage. Um, she, uh, she, said, she said to me, listen, I know, I know this is done, and I have forgiven it, and it is forgiven. But do you realize that every time we have a difficult discussion, you change the topic? And, uh, and I said, are you sure? And she said, are you changing the topic, you know? Uh, I said, she said, yes, I'm sure. And I said, well, you know, you're going to have to give me some time to think about that. So there was a pattern in my life that she, you know, she thought she had addressed before. Maybe she did. Um, and then one day I did it, and I caught it. And I thought, oh, my word, she was right. And it was helpful. It was helpful to, for her to bring that up. She'll say, she would say, remember... We've talked about this, this sin before, and I've forgiven it, um, but it, but it comes up. It comes up again. And uh, do you see that it's a pattern? Maybe I didn't describe that properly. It's a little confusing. Um, but there is a time when it's helpful to bring it up. But usually when we bring it up again, we're not trying to be helpful. We're trying to win the argument. Here is my case, right? These are the things against you. 
and there are, they are multitudinous. And remember last year, on December 19th at 7.02 p.m., when you, you know, whatever, and uh, we've talked about this already, and I ask for forgiveness. And um, So the idea here is that uh, you're not going to bring it up again. You're not going to dwell on it. Um, and we'll get to a attitudinal forgiveness here in, in a minute. If he repents, forgive him. Uh, and at least three commitments. Uh, the only requirement for forgiveness here is verbal. The only requirement here is verbal. Watch this. Pay attention to yourselves. If your brother, brother sins, rebuke him. If he repents, forgive him. Now watch this. If he sins against you seven times in a day and turns to you seven times saying, I repent, forgive him. Um, okay, I need, uh, I need Ken Basinger to come up here for a minute. I want to illustrate this. Yeah, you made me play the guitar last night, so. Uh, uh, okay, so uh, Ken and I have been tasked with the, the, uh, the duty of building a wooden fence on the outside perimeter of the church. And we're out there, and, uh, and we're, we're hammering away. And, uh, and I'm not, like somebody gets my attention, and I hammer, and, and I ah. hit, his, hit his thumb, right? And he turns to me, just, just do what I described, but not really. And he turns to me, and he, he grabs me by the shoulder, pulls me around, and punches me in the nose. Bam. Bam. And, uh, and I fall to the ground, right? Fall to the ground, and my nose is bleeding. And he says, brother, I'm so sorry. You know, I've been working on my anger problem for quite a while, and, you know, it just... I didn't mean to, I mean, I guess I meant to do it, but wait, please forgive me. And you say, okay, okay, let's just not let that happen again. And uh, we start working together again, and, and, I, I, and I drop the hammer, and it hits his foot. Ow. And then he grabs me by the shoulder, and he punches me in the nose again. And now I'm falling, I'm, I'm on the ground, and my nose is broken, I can't see for the tears, and he says, brother... Please, you know, I'm so sorry. This is just, I've done this so many times. I grew up in New Jersey, and I'm Irish. And, uh, and there I am on the ground, and, and, and he says, Brother, I'm so sorry, I'm so sorry. Will you forgive me? And then we get working, and I step aside, right, a little bit. And, uh, and I take the next board, and I spin around, and it hits him. And he knocks me to the ground and does it again. Okay, you can be seated. Okay, so, so, so far, we're only at three, and it already seems ridiculous. You see why Jesus began this passage the way he did? Notice what he says. Um, if he sins against you seven times in a day, in a day, and turns to you seven times saying, I repent. What's your response? I forgive you. I forgive you. You say, well, wait a minute. How do we know whether that's true repentance? I mean, we could go to 1 Corinthians 7 and talk about the difference between godly repentance and worldly repentance. Sorry. It's not in the context here. 
Is there a place for that? Sure there is. Sure there is. You know, if you're doing church discipline, I mean, if you're going to ratchet this up and it needs to be ratcheted up and they repent, yeah, yeah. You're going to have to make some distinctions. Um, however, this is not what Jesus is talking about. Jesus is talking about right now, right now, right now. There isn't any time here. There isn't any time lapse. And he says to you, this is why I say it's verbal. It's verbal. The only thing required here by Jesus is that verbal repentance. Verbally, he says, I am truly repentant in the heart. And you forgive him. Does that sound hard? Um, The only thing the offended party can require is a verbal acknowledgement of his sin in that moment and a request uh, to be forgiven. And the penitent person should say, what I did, and and here's uh, just based on the spirit of the other passages, um, I would encourage this person to, to, to say something like this. What I did, for example, when I punched you in the nose, was a sin against God. Remember David? Against you and you only have I sinned. And you say, that's not true. You killed that man. And you committed adultery with that woman. And you're the king, so this was against everybody in your country. Against you and you only have I sinned? Yes. There is a sense in which every sin that you commit is primarily against God. Um, What I did was a sin against God and a sin against you. And I need to ask your forgiveness. Will you forgive me? Not, I'm sorry. Sorry about that. Um, No, the guy who accidentally dropped the hammer can say, I'm sorry. Uh, All I'm sorry really communicates is this. I feel sorrow over your pain, which I caused (laughs) sinfully. That's not helpful. That's not, that, that's not admitting guilt. That's not culpability. Um, I apologize. I, apologize is the root of apologetics, right? You're making a defense. You become your own defense attorney. When you say, I apologize, now, all you're really saying is, I acknowledge that something happened here and I was a part of it. But again, there's no, there's no guilt. There's no admission of culpability. There is, this is a strong statement, but listen carefully, there is no transactional forgiveness without repentance. Unless you go to that person and say, I am in your debt, and I need to ask, because of my sin, I am in your debt, and I need to ask you to forgive the debt. Will you forgive me? And so he says, if your brother sins, go and show him his fault. This is, um, this is the... Uh, I believe the Matthew 18 passage, 18, 15. There Jesus says, if your brother sins, go and show him his fault. In private, if he listens to you, you have won your brother. End of story. Now forget about it. Choose not to bring it up. Remember it not against them. And when asked for forgiveness, the only appropriate response is yes. Now, here's the question. What if he repeats his sin? Again, verse 17, uh, verse 4. Uh, this is seven times in one day. This is exactly what he's talking about. And here would be the Apostle Paul's response. Forgive as Christ has forgiven you. 
Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving each other, just as God in Christ has forgiven you. Do you sin against God? I mean, you remember that day when you confessed your sin to God and said, God, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a wretched, wicked sinner. You should, sell, you, should, you should send me to hell. That's what I deserve. And he forgave you? Have you never sinned again since then? Of course you have. You, you, you may have sinned this morning. And has he forgiven you time after time after time? This is how we're to forgive one another. Um, transactional forgiveness is what each of us experienced when we first came to Christ. Now let me show you something, and I'm running out of time here, but um, I want you to see the rest of this. So, seven times in a day, does that sound hard? Sounds really hard. I mean, when, I mean, you don't even want to. You don't even want to be in the same room with someone who who has sinned against you seven times in a single day. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's right. Yeah, yeah, and uh, and you're going to need to say more to the child. More is going to have to happen uh, in, in dealing with that pattern of sinfulness. So this is not the only thing that you do, right? You don't just teach them how to forgive in the moment. Uh, that's what Jesus is talking about. Forgive it, it, everything that's happening in this period of 24 hours. Uh, or maybe, maybe uh, over a period of weeks, but you're, you're having to deal with it again and again and again. So that's, that's the implication here. He says, even if it's seven times in a single day. So that, that puts it back in the 70 times seven zone, right? Um, and so it's difficult but here's what, here's, notice what the apostles say. Verse 5, the apostles said to the Lord, increase our faith. Lord, this is too much. Increase. I mean, you're going to have to ratchet up our faith for us to be able to do this. This just seems unreasonable. This seems too hard. Ratchet up our faith. And the Lord said, listen, if you had faith like a grain of mustard seed, you could say to this mulberry bush, be uprooted and planted in the sea, and it would obey you. You know what he's saying? You don't need more faith. You don't need more faith. You have enough faith now. You say, well, okay, if I don't need more faith, what do I need? Well, keep reading. Will any one of you who has a servant plowing and keeping sheep say to him when he has come in from the field, come at once and recline at table? I mean, you're talking, you're the master and he's the servant. Hey, it's dinner time. We've been working in the field all day. Hey, come and, and, uh, and, and recline here at the table. Will he rather not say to his servant, prepare supper for me? And by the way, dress properly and serve me while I eat and drink. And afterwards, you will eat. Do, uh, does he thank the servant because he did what was commanded? So you also, when you have done all that you were commanded, say, we are unworthy servants. We have only done what was our duty. Jesus is saying, you don't need more faith. I am your master. You need to obey me. You need to obey me. You need to trust that my would. Don't you say that to your children? You're just going to have to trust daddy. You have to do what I say. I'm all about children making a respectful appeal, but at the end of the, at the, end of the discussion, they have to obey me. You have to trust your daddy and obey me. 
And you know what? There are going to be times when engaging in this kind of transactional forgiveness, uh, I mean, probably every time, you don't want to do it. I mean, you'd rather go work in a Siberian salt mine than to confront someone, or maybe you're on the side of confessing. I mean, you'd, you'd rather do anything but that. Increase our faith, and the Lord say, no, 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 no. Don't make this a faith issue. This is not some nebulous kind of thing. This is, I've told you to do it, now do it. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and don't do the hard things I tell you to do? I am your Lord, I am your master. Now go. If you've sinned, confess it. If you're the one who's sinned against, then approach it gently and draw it out and forgive. Now, there's also attitudinal forgiveness, and I'm afraid we're going to have to wait until next week. But you can kind of see, let me, let me kind of give you an idea where we're going with attitudinal forgiveness. Um, what, happens, uh, what happens if the, um, the desired forgiveness doesn't happen, or the desired repentance, I'm sorry, doesn't happen? You go to a person and they say, I didn't do that. Well, sure you did. I saw you. Well, no, I don't know what you saw, but I didn't do that. Well, I mean, everybody else saw you too. Well, I'm sorry, I'm not willing to talk about that. Or I heard you. Or I, or, you told me. Or I, you know, whatever. Uh, somebody told me yesterday about a hunting incident. Uh, uh, it was a brother down at Living Hope was hunting with their son, and they had a guide, right? And uh, the son took a shot at a turkey, a gobbler, and accidentally hit the hen as well, which is illegal. I mean, it was a, it was a bona fide mistake. And uh, so a really exciting, wonderful moment turned into a really awkward moment uh, because the guide said, oh, just pick up the hen and throw him in the woods. Nobody will know. And the dad said, the Lord knows and I know and my son is watching how this is going to go down. No, no. We're calling the warden and we're going to tell him what happened. And if we get fined, we get fined. And, uh, it was hard, because uh, not only did the, the uh, guide not want to do it, but neither did the landowner at first. Uh, and it's hard. Um, so what happens when the person you confront wants nothing to do with this, this discussion? Or, how about this, what happens if the person is dead? This person who sinned against you so egregiously, how do you respond to that? Well... You have to come back next week. <laughs>